I always try to simplify things for myself. So when I think of asymmetric opportunities, I think of distortions in the marketplace, areas where things are out of balance. And of course, the energy market is completely out of balance right now. So there's a lot of folks that have done really, really well in the energy market. Hello, hello. My name is Abel Pacheco, and you're listening to the Five Talents Podcast. How to build wealth like the 1%. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Five Talents Podcast, how to build wealth like the 1%. I'm your host, Abel Pacheco. I'm the principal of Five Talents Capital. We're a San Antonio, Texas real estate investment firm, and we're actively invested in 1,500 doors of commercial real estate worth $150 million, much of which is right here in San Antonio, Texas, the Alamo City, baby. I'm also a fund manager, a capital allocator, and a servant leader who learned how to invest like the 1%. And on the Five Talents podcast, I enjoy helping others learn and doing the same. So if you're seeking investment strategies to catapult your family wealth and generate passive income, even in today's volatile market, this show is for you. Because each week we're bringing you interviews with PE firms, investment advisors, financial planners, tax strategists, VC funds, and many others who are highly skilled in handling money, good stewards of capital, and individuals who advise the wealthiest 1% on what to do with their money. So each show, we're going to provide you insights and actionable steps that you can implement to become a better investor. You're always going to learn something that you can apply in your own investment journey on the Five Talents Podcast. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello, hello. This is Abel Pacheco. Super excited to have Mr. MC Lobshires, our one of the honored, esteemed, amazing guests from the Cashflow Ninja Man, he's been putting out content for years, hundreds and hundreds of episodes, like 600 something plus shows of just really helping others understand, learn more about investing, building cash flow, you know, becoming your own bank and having a great network of others to to help, you know, move the ball forward in in the same mission, the same direction. And so as they've been helping people achieve self-reliance, independence and freedom through actionable education, man, we're pumped to have him. So MC, thanks a lot for joining, man. Thanks for coming. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, brother. So let me, you know, pause for a moment and just turn it over to you. Give us in your own words, like tell us who you are and what you do, because, you know, I've known you in the industry for a while, but just happy to have you. And and to our network, for those who have never heard your your voice, your accent, you know, your background, man, please elaborate. Tell us who you are, what you do, brother. Absolutely. I appreciate it. MC Lobster. So I'm originally from South Africa. I came to the US, boy, it's almost 22 years ago. It's crazy. Time flies when you're having fun, I guess. So came to the country. I was just traveling and I was actually just playing sports here in in a league and just came here with one suitcase, a backpack, 500 bucks, a sense of humor and a sense of adventure. And I found a lot of adventure. And I also saw the incredible opportunity that the U.S. provides. You know, I think a lot of folks that are born and raised here and they haven't traveled quite a lot to different countries, they don't understand or realize the incredible privilege that it is of being born in the U.S., number one, and, and living here. It provides incredible opportunity. And I saw it for what it, the opportunity for what it was. It allowed incredible upward mobility. That's why you have so many rags to riches stories. 
in the US, folks just starting with nothing and just building incredible lives in general. And that's also why a lot of, I would say, a lot of immigrants become very successful here. There actually was an article that community member in, in, in the cash flow ninja world sent to me about to the uh, billionaire immigrants. And of course, Mr. Elon Musk from South Africa features on that list too, but they realize the opportunity that's here and they just go after it. And I kind of had a similar mindset. I was traveling and playing in sports and I have a background in history and economics. So I love reading history. I love reading and studying economics. And as I was traveling for sports, I came across a book that my mom actually gave me from Robert K. Saki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And as I was reading the book, my mind just went, just completely like changed my paradigm, my worldview, what I, my understanding of what money is and what wealth is and how to think differently about money and about wealth. I mean, I took action probably within six months of finishing that book. I bought my first property. And during that time, it was very small. I mean, that's why I always say you got to start small. But what it, one of the most incredible light bulb moments for me was after I put tenants in there, they paid rent and I pay all the expenses associated with that property, there was money left over. And that was a light bulb moment where I said, this is quite incredible. This is cash flow, just like what I read in the book. It's incredible. <laughs> so yeah. it was a big light bulb moment for me because I looked at that and I said, now I truly understand, you know, what the concept of leverage, you know, from a from a financial standpoint and financing the property, putting a small down payment down, financing the rest, and then having tenants in there, leveraging their capital, and then also having a property manager involved, leveraging their resources collecting the rent. And after doing all of that, I ended up with a profit. And the first question was like, how many times can I do this? You know, how many of these units can you go after? And then of course, as every real estate investor will know, the lesson start, the school starts in that world. And you know, obviously there's many, many ups and downs, but that was a huge light bulb moment for me. Then a little further on in my journey, I started to actually Read Rich Dad Poor Dad again. I read that book once a year. So it's, I've been reading it now for the first time it was in 2001. I've been reading it for over 20 years. And I think it was like the fifth or the sixth time that I read it. And I started to realize as I was reading the financial statements that were shared into the book that all of these liabilities that showed up on my statement as liabilities were someone else's assets. And I looked at, you know, try to follow the money capital flows. Where does that end up? Whose asset column does this end up? And it, ended up on the banks almost every single time. And I realized, wow, these banks really, they have this figured out. They have this game of capital and wealth figured out. So I realized at that point that I have to figure out a strategy how I can become my own bank and do similar things to what banks do as far as cash flow management. So the first light bulb was cash flow. The second one was cash flow management. And that's a huge, can absolutely amplify what you're doing as a as a as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, and then as an investor. So a lot of folks get excited about the cash flow and it's great, but the cash flow management becomes even more important because we all know, even in business, right? You can have an incredible product, your business can blow up, but you could run out. You could literally run yourself out of business if you don't have proper cash flow management. And then, you know, as my journey progressed, you know, I was working for a friend that was in the, in the sports circles that I was operating in, and his family owned a large portfolio of multifamily properties. So I started literally at the bottom because I was traveling so much for sports. It was very, very tough to keep down a full-time job at that point. So I was working part-time, starting literally like just cleaning some of the properties, picking up trash to eventually doing, 
you know, renovations, running construction crews, eventually doing leasing, property management, and eventually being part of his acquisitions team. So because they were really scaling and growing, and I got my real estate broker's license at that point too. And I remember going after this one particular investor that owned a portfolio of properties that I knew my friend and his partner would be interested in. And I just couldn't get a hold of this person, right? I was young, you know, young buck, really going after it. And I remember one day I'd walked early into the office, it was like 7.30 in the morning. And the same investor that I was going after for about six to eight months, just walked out of my friend's office and they just closed the deal, you know, and sold the entire portfolio of properties. And I looked at that and I'm like, there's a learning moment here, MC. <laughs> there's something to be learned here. And I realized that you have cash flow ninjas and they operate at a completely different level. I mean, in that market that we were operating in, my friend and his partner, those were the folks that you would go to if you think about buying real estate, if you think about selling real estate, because even if your portfolio of properties isn't something that they would keep, they would probably buy and flip it to an investor that they knew, because they know everyone, they're the cash loan engines in their market, that would want that portfolio. So they're really dominant players in that market. And I started to realize that it's almost impossible to compete with these guys, but how can I partner with them? And I realized at that point, that was a huge lesson. And then I started to see their community. You know, and a lot of folks have thrown around the term community, but essentially, you know, if you break it down, it's common unity. It's folks that all their interests are aligned. They're all working towards something. And in the process, it could, you know, you obviously leverage the power of the group and you can have a lot of fun doing that together. And, you know, those three big light bulb moments is really, you know, shaped me as an investor of where I was going. And I started Cashflow Ninja in 2016 as a podcast just to interview incredible folks, learn more about different niches. And it really was a passion project at that point, but it turned into, you know, now it turned into a full-time educational business. Now we've been downloaded in 180 countries, millions of downloads. We have recorded over 900 shows now between the two shows. We have programs, resources, books. And then I also have two other companies. I have a company called Producers Wealth, where we actually help investors across the United States and all 50 states implement and execute the infinite banking concept strategy, which relates to cash flow management using life insurance, just as they do in family offices. And then I also have a company called Producers Capital Partners, where we leverage the power of community, that common unity, and we have a lot of fun doing it, going after a lot of real estate projects and then, you know, obviously after a lot of resort deals and so forth. Right on, man. Well, there's no shortage of things to break into, MC. So, <laughs> man, I'm pumped that you're here. And just hearing you, there's some similarities, commonality, some themes that a lot of our investors, a lot of our syndicators, operators, wealth managers just you know have. And let me point out a few. One, a lot of successful individuals on our show have come from other countries. They are you know seeing this great opportunity that is the US. And for whatever reason, there's a lot of people here in the US that just don't take advantage of this amazing opportunity. And when yeah. I hear somebody, you know, like yourself who's just you know foreign, it's like, hey, I came over here, I saw the opportunity to take advantage of it. And to me, it's super uh, inspiring and also motivating, you know, just to know that, look, there are some obstacles that other people from other countries have to overcome. And if they can do it, so can we. So it's like, man, you know, no shortage of opportunities. So I, I love, you know, hearing that, you know, first. 
but a couple other things, you know, another theme and commonality, man, that red, that purple and yellow book, the rich dad, poor dad by Robert Kiyosaki, man, that is similar to a lot of us. And once you learn how wealth is, you know, created, and then once you learn assets and liabilities, once you start to learn, you know, some financial literacy really to you and figure out, oh, what's an asset and what's a liability? Well, what is a liability? A liability to me, like MC said, is, man, that's something that I pay a monthly a monthly portion to. And where's that monthly cash flow going to? It's going to a bank's income statement. It's an asset on their side. So the moment you figure that part out, cash flow, you know, how to leverage it, and how to leverage asset versus liability in your personal financial statement, man, at least you know how the game is played. Now you can start making moves before, you know, if you don't know how the game is played, you don't know what the rules are, right? So, you know, I think MC mentioned a couple of those, any one of those things we could break off and and start an individual show. But one of the ones that I was excited most about hearing is becoming your own bank, because, you know, that's something that infinite banking, not a lot of people really understand and, and how to, you know, pull off successfully, right? So I think the first time I did it was my single family house, my residence that I was in. We realized, oh, I can get a line of credit with simple interest. And that line of credit, simple interest, I took a big chunk out and paid a big chunk of our residence off, our single family house, our yep. you know primary homestead. And I realized, oh, even though my line of credit, simple interest was 8% at the time or whatever it was, well, I, I was like, well, why would I pay off a 3% mortgage note? Because one's compounding and the other one is simple. And one's the most aggressive type of interest. And I'm using the least aggressive type to pay off the most aggressive type. And as long as I keep doing that in cycles, I could pay off my note way faster. Right. And, and that was the first you know, thing that got unlocked for me. So MC, I'd, I'd love to hear, you know, what the heck is infinite banking and how do you become your own bank? Let me just start there. Yeah, I think if you take a framework, and this is the framework that I've seen from um, just after interviewing all these cash flow ninjas and just studying what successful f- folks do, and I, I really try to simplify everything, and especially from a framework standpoint. So everyone creates capital in one way, shape, or form. They either, either do it as an employee or a self-employed person or a business owner as an investor. And obviously, that's in a different capacity that is different tax consequences and so forth, but everyone creates capital in one way, shape, or form. And most people are aware of that. And most people are aware of how to increase that, how to grow and scale that and so forth. But then the second step is, well, where do you position then capital after it's been created? Because it has to reside somewhere. Like, where do you put it? (laughs) And that's pretty important from a cash flow management standpoint, you know, because you want to put it in a place with the least amount of counterparty risk, which is a massive theme right now in the investment world, which I would urge everyone to pay attention to. So where do you position capital before you deploy it? Because as if it's positioned as efficiently and effectively, it's going to amplify what you're doing in, with regards to your investments, whether you're investing back into your own business or you're growing and scaling your own investment portfolio. So after you've protected and positioned it, then you deploy it into investments that either cash flow or grow. And then the fourth kind of area is just to, now you have to protect everything. You got to protect your ability to create capital. You have to protect where you've positioned the capital, and you have to protect, obviously, where you've deployed. And you, how do you protect that? Well, you protect that by protecting it from the biggest wealth destroyers out there. Number one, taxes. So you have to have a tax strategy in place 
and work with great tax professionals. And then, of course, you have to have proper asset protection and estate planning in place because that's the world that business owners and investors obviously live in, and especially in the United States. <laughs> it's a very litigious society. So, you know, so back to the positioning of capital positioning. So a lot of folks, you know, know that they could position capital in a certain area where they can obviously leverage it and essentially collateralize that. Now, collateralizing something, collateral is just an asset which a lender will identify as an asset and use as collateral for you to establish a credit line secured by that. So what does that mean? Very simply said, real estate investors know about this. You know, if you have some equity in a property, you can establish a line of credit, which is a, you know, like a HELOC against a single family property, which allows you to access liquidity, which is secured by that equity in the home. So a lot of people know about that. Business owners know about this too. You know, business owners know that they can, for example, take the equipment of a business, the assets, or even the receivables and take that to the bank. And the bank would use that as collateral and then give a business loan or a line of credit secured by those assets and receivables to the business owner. And the business owner can then use that to grow the business, hire employees and so forth. Or even we had someone on our network buy real estate and the real estate the property that you bought was from where the business was operating from. So you essentially use your business without selling the business to acquire another asset, which was the property. Now you have the business and real estate. And of course, a lot of folks know about the strategy with regards to stock, certain stock portfolios. You know, it was recently in the news, you know, when Elon was poking around at Twitter that he was essentially going to collateralize some of his Tesla shares. So asset-based lending. So folks are familiar with that. Obviously, there's a risk involved with that. There's margin calls and so forth. You have to manage collateral. The same with gold, silver, art, the same with cryptocurrencies, essentially. Again, pretty, you know, you have to know what you're doing and you have to know how to manage the risk and manage the collateral, especially in a volatile, extremely volatile market. So most folks are aware of all of those things, but what they're not aware of is there's a very, very powerful strategy which utilizes a life insurance vehicle. You know, most people think life insurance, somebody has to die in order for someone else to benefit. But essentially, how the rich and the wealthy family structure life insurance policies, and more specifically, dividend paying whole life insurance policies with mutual insurance companies, is for cash value. So there's a massive living benefit in that insurance. That's why if you ask institutions, you ask corporations, and you ask very wealthy families and individuals how much life insurance you want to buy, the answer would be you know, across the board, as much as the carriers will allow me to place, right? Or as much as I could legally do from a banking standpoint as tier one capital or from a corporate standpoint and so forth, because they can structure those policies with a massive cash value benefit. And the reason why they love the life insurance strategy is because you're, the principal's guaranteed, the growth is guaranteed in those vehicles. You get access to dividends, which means you can participate in the profits of the life insurance carrier if they have profits. It's not guaranteed, but most of them have been profitable since the mid-1800s. And then, of course, you can access, quote-unquote, liquidity by using your cash value as collateral for a credit line, which is also tax-free, so tax-free access. And then the death benefit gets paid tax-free to the beneficiaries. It is asset protection in most states. And you know, one of the great things which you shared is when you put place capital in there with this guaranteed growth and uh, getting dividends, 
and the value increasing every year contractually, when you quote unquote access liquidity, you never touch the capital, the cash value that's in there. So you have uninterrupted compound growth in that vehicle. You can get a loan, which is based on simple interest, and then go and acquire real estate or other other investments that produces cash flow and appreciate value and give you tax, you know, gives you tax benefits. And you can essentially then pay back that loan down, which becomes available. It's like a revolving line of credit, right? So it's pretty powerful stuff. And it essentially you're doing what banks are doing in that stage. They're just doing it with other people's money. But at this stage, your own banker, you get to benefit and you get to have your capital work in many different places simultaneously. The other thing that I would also say is, you know, when you look at, let's just say, I mentioned counterparty risk right now, especially right now, this should be a major theme for investors. But what is counterparty risk? You know, in this incredible world that we live in, where incredible wealth has been generated, it's been generated on fundamental principles. The rule of law, which the rule of law has a result that private property would be honored because there's the rule of law to enforce it. And of course, when private property rights are respected with an environment of rule and law, contracts become very enforceable and is a great way for folks to, you know, tr- uh, trade and, you know, and establish agreements with. So you usually have both parties on both sides of those agreements. So counterparty risk is the probability that someone else is not going to follow through on that, you know, on the promise that is made in that. So why is it such a theme and why do I look at life insurance companies, essentially, especially mutual insurance companies in a favorable light, as opposed to other entities that is out there for counterparty risk? Well, how are they going to behave in the future? We don't have a crystal ball. Nobody does. Nobody can predict the future. But usually, if you look at past behaviors, whether it's you know, whether it's partners, business partners, whether it's community members, whether it's operators, whether it's institutions and so forth, if you look at past behaviors, the future, the probability is very high that they're going to have similar behaviors in the future, right? So they've been very, very solid. Insurance companies have been through, I mean, some of them have even survived the civil war in the United States, the creation of the Federal Reserve in 1913. They've seen economic crashes, economic depressions. They've seen recessions. They've seen monetary resets, which is another topic which a lot of people talk about. So they were around, you know, in 1944 during the Bretton Woods Agreement. They were around in 1971 when Richard Nixon on August 15 took the world essentially off the gold standard by closing the gold window. They've been around through all these chaotic things, and they've been a very they've been great custodians and great stewards of capital. So that's the infinite banking in short. And, you know, that's why also from a counterparty risk standpoint, where this fits into the ecosystem is, you know, from a risk management standpoint, you know, they have been great custodians of capital. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Five Talents Podcast with me, your host, Abel Pacheco. And since you're listening to the show right now, I wanted to break for a moment to tell you thank you so much for subscribing and following the show. I also want to give you access to our simple wealth case study for busy professionals that we explain how we invested in $150 million of commercial real estate to generate passive income. So I'm sharing with you how I personally build wealth like the 1% and explaining how you can create passive income in real estate without having to manage it yourself. So do yourself a favor, take a moment now and go to www.5talents.capital. That's the number five 
talents, T-A-L-E-N-T-S dot capital. And you can register, watch our video recorded case study, and we're going to give you access to our investment club as well. If you want to see like all of our next moves, every single investment move that we make, future investment opportunities, and even perhaps invest alongside us, go to our website now. We look forward to sharing more. You can register at www.5talents.capital. And we look forward to having you as part of the club. Great explanation of and understanding for those that if you understand it, you may already be leveraging it. Let's try to put $100,000, $200,000. Or if you're a, fam- you know, a family that has a little bit more, more wealth, you know, you're trying to put as much of it as you can out there, right? And the insurance companies are saying, yeah, that's here. It's recognized, compounding interest. And by the way, your cash is here. If you want to take out a loan and pay yourself back and pay yourself interest back, you can do it. And the cash value, like you, as MC said, continues to grow. And for investors like us, it's, you know, well, shoot, if I can put my liquid assets here and it continues to grow, but if I find something that works, property and opportunity and investment, whatever the case may be, I can pull that out, leverage it quickly. It is that liquidity part of it that's also nice. And man, that's the mindset, right? Is how do I put the money in the right bucket to take a Kiyosaki you know, nomenclature. It's like, which cash flow quadrant? Where do I put it? Where should this money be? Asset liability, where is this cash going to lie? And if I want to put it in the asset column, then man, I need to put it in something that generates income when I need it to, right? As opposed to a liability or just cash sitting in a bank, which inflation is eating the heck out of right now, right? So yeah, yeah, man, I love it. Maybe you can elaborate one more step on becoming the bank. For somebody that's never done this, where do they get started? Like, what's the first thing, first couple of steps that I do? How do I get started in this? Yeah, you just have to be, I would just say that you have to work with someone that knows how to set up these policies correctly, set it up with a correct carrier, have it structured correctly, because not everybody knows how to set this up properly. That's essentially why I started my company back in 2015, Producers Wealth, because I was having a lot of issues, you know, and then this, the next step you know, I was having issues essentially finding someone that set it up correctly with the right carrier. And after I got that done, a crucial part isn't just, and yes, it's important to have it set up correctly. It's important to have it structured with the right carrier, but you want to have someone to guide you through the process and sort of be a strategist alongside you to explore options with you for line of credits, to explore situations with you of what makes sense in that particular situation. So it's a little bit of a different it's a different relationship, which most folks have with insurance professionals. So that's what I would say. We've put together a pretty good program at Producers Wealth. Folks can you know, go to yourownbankingsystem.com where we have a, I believe it's like 36 minutes of an entire webinar and informational kind of presentation about this and how, how to get started. Yeah, um, and that's actually, at yourownbankingsystem.com. Now, MC, is probably a good time. You know, what, if I want to learn more, if I want to get in your world, if I want to you know, figure out how to get connected to you and, and your team and, and the different companies you guys, you know, have serve others, where should I go to? Yeah. So Cashflow Ninja is just at cashflowninja.com. There's over 900 episodes there. There's a ton of just resources, there's programs and there's books. And then if you're interested about infinite banking and having it set up properly, like I said, it's a gr- cash is going to be a crucial part of any investor strategy in a volatile world. You could go to yourownbankingsystem.com. There's a, as I mentioned, there's an informational webinar there. 
We recorded it as, as short as possible because I know folks are very, very busy. So it's only 36 minutes. And if you play it back at double the speed, it's only 18. Um, so uh, <laughs> it's funny. Harder. Yeah, it's yeah. funny. Everybody's like, it's got to be under 20 minutes. I'm like, well, if you do it at double the playback speed, right? It's under 20. It. Uh, but that's at yourbankingsystem.com. And, you know, a lot of the stuff that we talk about too at Cashflow Ninja is diversify, how to diversify income streams, right? Yeah. How it's so important and how you can do that. You know, one of the things that I shared was the power of community, the power of partnering with folks. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Let's, if yeah. we can, man, I'd love to to talk about this. You know, for I know we only have a few minutes. I wish I had yeah. you for a few hours, brother. But from now till then, you know, that's a huge part of what we're doing, right? Networking, mm. our community. You know, I like the way you said comment unity because I mean, as an individual, my parents didn't come from money. My family didn't have money. Nobody taught me about money, fumbling through it until my, you know, late thirties. Even then I have a friend that finally said, Hey, this is what I'm doing is how I'm doing it. And, you know, it's like, Oh shoot. I've never known all this stuff. And now that I'm in communities and networks and we're all working together, same goal, same alignment of interest. And we're all trying to, to work together. Now I realize, oh, we can buy bigger things, invest in different assets, invest in vehicles that we wouldn't have been able to do as individuals. And that's, you know, a lot of what's unlocked a lot of our success is teaming up and partnering with others. So it sounds like the same is true on your side. There is no difference there, right? No. And what I would say to folks too, I wrote a book called The 21 Based Cashflow Niches. It's available at cashflowninja.com. But in the reason why that is, to, number one, you have to diversify in a world with a lot of uncertainty, change, chaos, and so forth. So you have to be across different asset classes and different niches. But how do you do that? Yes, you can immerse yourself for like six to 12 months and learn everything that you need to know about a particular asset class. But then instead of doing everything yourself, partner with someone. And that's how I've been able to invest across different asset classes. They're like, how do you know everything that you're supposed to know, you know, all these niches that you're in? I'm like, I know enough to be dangerous in every single one, but then I partner with the Cashflow Ninja in that niche. And that allows me to invest with the best operators and the best deals and the best markets. And I don't have to be the go-to person. Again, common unity, part of a community, part of a, a syndicated group of folks. So no, absolutely. I love your message and I love what you share around that. Yeah, man. We're, you know, I would say similar to, we, we invested in real estate for years. When I was younger, we bought our first property and we did it for 10 years. And it was when I say me and my wife, and we hadn't figured out, oh, that, you know, to get into commercial, we hadn't figured out how, I thought we still need to have like millions of dollars myself to buy our first property. And now we're, you know, invested in, you know, 15, 16 syndications. We're launching our third fund pretty soon. And that diversification fund, I'm going to be invested in more assets across Texas and multifamily. And like, I wouldn't have been able to do that without having experts in various different categories across different, you know, not even different asset classes or heavily invested in multifamily, a little bit of commercial uh, triple net lease deals. But for the most part, it's because there are people, markets, assets, somebody with boots on the ground, somebody with expertise. And, you know, we, like you said, you learn a lot going through it, but am I going to know everything about each deal? No, I, we've got to have the best possible team operators and you know offices that are trying to figure out how to do it in each one. So love it. The community, yep. the networking, man. Well, with the last few minutes, right? Is there anything we haven't talked about? Anything 
else that, man, you, we, you know, we should touch. We haven't broken into you. I haven't asked you the question. Anything in general, particular that would be good for our listener base to hear, man? Absolutely. One of the things that I mentioned that you should be diversified. And what I mean by that is across have different income streams and different niches, because we don't have a crystal ball. We don't know what it brings. And, you know, one thing that I've learned from folks that are either pretty close to a billionaire or there is they're always assuming that they don't know there's something that they're missing. You know, it's funny that when you get to newer investors, they know, (laughs) they know everything. Right. And these billionaires are like, what am I missing? I'm missing something. There's one thing that I'm missing. And it's that one thing. You don't want one thing that you missed to really, really like really knock you and wipe you out in a massive pullback or in a recession or depression or in a market crash. So have a strategy, be diversified, always think of what you could potentially be missing. Like what's my blind spot as an investor? What am I not seeing? And have, I mentioned capital allocation, have capital allocated in different places. You know, I mentioned always, you know, we all a year cash is trash and the US dollar is losing value. And I've said all those things myself too, by the way, but cash is going to be a great buffer in a volatile world. And then of course, you know, have some wealth insurance do some exposure to metals, and then have a diversified income stream from different asset classes. Because again, you know, none of us know know everything. We have yeah. blind spots, and maybe there's multiple of them, or many more than just a couple. So make sure that we're very well diversified. That if one income stream or one cash flow revenue stream takes a hit, that you that that's not the one that wipes you out completely. Yeah, yeah, good call. I think having the right. I'm not a gold bug by any measure. However. I'm like, you know what? Maybe we should put a few thousand bucks on this one. Maybe it should be, you know, a few percentage points of our capital allocation. Maybe we should have a little bit in, you know, crypto. I'm a real estate guy, but, you know, 13 years past, I was a tech guy. And maybe we should have a little in this market versus that market. I'm like, okay, a little bit of diversification. I still haven't been able to throw heavy in the stock market though. Man, that's that's (laughs) the diversification that I can't quite get to anymore since 2008. You know, and I saw my portfolio dwindle down. Other than that, though, I'm, I'm like, well, as we created wealth, we got to figure out how to, you know, diversify and protect it. And, you know, that's part of it, right? Is like make the right decisions for the future and try to figure out what percentages of, you know, what percentage should we invest in what type of asset class, right? So, yeah, I always say that too know what you have, know why you have it, and what is it supposed to be doing for you. So in your strategy, when you map that, you know, when you map out a, a strategy, you know, just ask yourself those questions. And that's to your point. I'm not, you know, I know folks that do very, very well in the stock market. They trade and they're in and out and they they absolutely crush it. It's never been my, uh, you know, it's never been my forte. So I've steered away from that because I couldn't answer those three questions, you know? Yeah. So there's other yeah. ways to do it, especially in the alternative world. So everything that I have, I know why I have it. I know what it's supposed to be doing for me and what it is currently doing for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, other co- questions since you've, I didn't realize you have 900-ish shows. I was seeing some 600 and 500, 600, and I was like, holy moly, you've interviewed a bunch of folks. Can you give us any recent themes you know, right now with what's going on, Fed's raising their interest rates. We're trying to figure out, you know, loan to values on properties. The banks are coming in, you know, lower 60, 65, where it used to be 70, 75% LTV. 
I'm sure you have a lot of wealthy investors. You know, some of those mid-tier high net worth individuals, five, 10 to 20, 30 million dollars. And any common themes you see about where they're putting their money and how they're doing it. And, you know, just the general theme, it's July the 20, July 2022, as we record it. So man, what the heck is going on right now? What are you seeing out there? Yeah, I think that some of the wealthiest investors, you know, one of the themes that have come across in our conversations and even private conversations that I've been having is asymmetry. What are asymmetric opportunities to capitalize on? And I always try to simplify things for myself. So when I think of asymmetric opportunities, I think of distortions in the marketplace, areas where things are out of balance. And of course, the energy market is completely out of balance right now. So there's a lot of folks that have done really, really well in the energy market. But you know, here's a couple of things. Jim Rogers, legendary investor, he's three biggest positions right now is silver. And then he was also copper. And folks that say copper, well, that's how he's playing the electrical vehicle market. So it's a physical commodity, which he's a commodity guy. So instead of, again, instead of buying shares in Tesla or other companies, he's playing, he's looking at from a commodity standpoint and saying, well, they're all going to, they're all going to need copper, all of them. So rather than picking the horse in the rice, how about I, you know, I'm the basically betting on the supply chain that supplies to all of these horses, right? So that's definitely one way of playing it. And of course, he's huge in agricultural. And there again, there's a mad because of supply chain disruptions and all of the events the past three years, there's massive asymmetric situations. There was bef- even before the war in the Ukraine in, in agriculture and more, more specifically food. So, you know, those folks are looking at, you know, and I think like the core principle here too, and I just shared a couple of examples, but the core principle here for investor is what situations are there where there's imbalances, some distortions in the marketplace that I can position myself on the side, which is going to benefit from all of these distortions and capitalize on it. So you could also look at capital flows. You know, that's the one thing is money is always moving in a marketplace. Capital is always moving from one place to another. If it leaves one place, it's moving to another place. So you just have to figure out where is it going? And that's human capital. That's financial capital. Just figure out where that is going and position yourself for it. You know, that's kind of the theme that's come through. And also undervalued assets. Everything has been overvalued. There's a lot of pullbacks. Look at for things that are under undervalued. You know, sticking to Jim Rogers, he, you know, he was saying to me the one time, I said, what is the biggest lesson, investing lesson that as an investor that you can learn? He said, you know, I, don't, I haven't really overcomplicated things, MC. He said, I just, you know, I just stand around and wait till the money lies in the corner for me to pick up. And then I walk over there and I pick it up. And I said, well, what's an example? It's like things that are very ugly at one stage that are very undervalued that nobody wants to touch that is going to have an extreme use case in the future. I just pick those up. So that's why he's been huge in, in, in commodities. You know, a lot of these folks are looking at a commodity super cycle and they're looking at businesses or investing in businesses that produce commodities as investors, not just buying stocks and shares of it. So that's some of the themes that I'm seeing. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. And for the everyday average investor, you know, somebody with 50, 100K, you know, I need, I'm trying to deploy it. Any insights for them? What's the next couple of best moves? Yeah, I would say your best investment is going to be in yourself in this time. And I know it sounds cliches, but what we're moving, what we're already into right now, 
I believe we'll, it's already hard times for a lot of folks. Mm-hmm. And I believe it's going to be much harder. I think the economy in the next 6 to 12 to 18 months is going to be extremely hard for most folks. So what, survive, what survives hard times? Hard people and hard assets. You know, so how hard can you become as an individual? How rugged and how battle-hardened in a recession? And how do you become that? Well, training, whether it's you know emotionally, physically, spiritually, increasing your financial IQ. So if you know if you're just getting started, this is a very exciting time to get started. By the way, a lot of folks are like, "Man, that sounds gloomy and doomy." I'm like, the opportunities. This is where fortunes are made. Is in tough economic environments because you're going to yeah. get tested yep. and it's not for everyone. So, you know, hard people and, and hard assets, I think are the thing. So once you become that hard person that can survive a very brutal economic environment and you've invested in yourself, then you look at other hard assets, things that you can touch and feel that, because I've also believed with this commodity super cycle and, and with hard assets, you know, I think that's where value is going to be maintained and of course, if you look at Maslow's hierarchy, just position yourself there where real estate is a very big part of that shelter, clothing, food, and so forth. So the basics, you know, in tough yeah. economies, you go back to basics. So hard people, hard assets, and look at Maslow's hierarchy when you have to invest or create and build businesses. Yeah, love it. Well, MC, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. You know, anybody that's listening to the show, I would encourage you hit rewind, get a, a notepad and paper, take a few notes. You know, I learned a few things. I took more than a, a, at least a half a page here for myself and I'm typing eight font. So I'm excited to hear and implement some of these things. It's a lot of them are, you know, just really good principles and refreshers and some of the stuff you hear about. And it's time for you actionable education if you're listening. So I encourage you, man, none of this stuff works unless you go take some action. You got to employ something. You got to put something at work right now. So MC gave us a few. Invest in yourself if you're just starting. Great time. My wife's super excited too, MC. She's like, oh, everything I feel like we've been positioning the last, you know, five, six, 10 years. I kind of feel like it's that time. And I'm, so we started in 08, but we kind of came on the tail end of the of the bad market. And we were, we were yep. buying in 08. So we, we've kind of been on the upside. And now it's like, okay, now I feel like, you know, really great opportunities and trying to capitalize. So anyways, excited. Yep. But thank you very much, MC. Thanks for your time, brother. Thank you so much. All right. Bye, everyone. See you in the next show. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Five Talents Podcast with myself, your host, Abel Pacheco. We really appreciate you liking, following, subscribing, and leaving all the written reviews for the Five Talents Podcast. Each week, we're going to continue to bring interviews with private equity folks, VCs, advisors, financial planners, strategists, tax strategists, and other stewards of capital, many of which advise the wealthiest 1% on what to do with their money. So we appreciate you joining. Also, if you want to be notified of monthly future events we're hosting or attending, and if you want exclusive access to the same investment opportunities that have largely been reserved for the wealthiest 1%, many of which you've rarely ever heard about, go now to our website, watch our wealth building case study, and register to be added to our investment club. We're going to send you future opportunities and you'll be able to watch all the moves that we made firsthand. Your investment journey is waiting for you to take the next step. So what is the next step? Go to www.thenumber5talents.com 
talents.capital. That's fivetalents.capital and register today. Thank you again. We can't wait to bring you the next show. And thank you for liking and subscribing.